Father, I ask that as we, <clears throat> as we look at this passage, as we look at your word, that you would be at work among us. I pray that you'd help us to have hearts that are open to what you want to do in us and through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage we have for today is a rich one. It's like, I mean, there's, there's, it's a fantastic story. And I would say it's almost like a, a master class in what it means to share Christ with someone else, right? Like Philip is, is good at this. And I don't want us, however, to put Philip up on this pedestal in such a way that we don't think that we should be doing something similar, okay? Uh, and and in, in essence, what happens sometimes is we go, you know, Philip later is called Philip the Evangelist. And sometimes we look at a story like this and we go, oh, well, that sort of thing, that's for the evangelists. That's for Simon Gilbo. He can do that, okay? Right? And the thing is, is that we probably say that out of a sense of fear. We probably say that out of a sense of, you know, like, like maybe I'm not. But actually, if you experience what it's like, if you, when you experience what it's like to share Christ with someone else, it's so good that you won't want to say, oh, that's for someone else. You see what I mean? Like, um, and so... Ooh, there we go. One of the most significant things that you can do in your life is to help someone on their journey in being reconciled with God. And so it's not for someone else. It's for all of us, okay? Now, in Acts chapter 8, where we're at today, in Acts chapter 7, we heard last week about Stephen's death and the early church being scattered. And so in Acts 8, verse 1, in the second half of the verse, we read this. On, the, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. And later in that verse, all except the apostles were scattered, diaspora, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Um, so you can imagine at that time, the persecution they're coming under, the, the Christians are being scattered. Verse 4 of chapter 8, those who had been scattered preach the word wherever they went. There's this beautiful thing that happens that actually, it's almost like, you know, it's like a fire that, they're, that someone's trying to stamp out, but instead what's happened is the flames have gone all over the place, right? You know, the church is being persecuted, and instead of being stamped out, it is growing like never before. And so in Acts 8, 9, 10, we've got loads of different stories of how this scattering is working out. And so we find, for example, um, in chapter 8, we, we read about Philip. And so Philip was one of the seven with Stephen. Remember, there were seven set apart to care for these widows and such. He was one of the seven, so we hear from Philip first. Then in chapter 9, we're going to get Saul becoming Paul. Saul was there when Stephen, at, when Stephen died, right? And then we're going to get Peter, and then we're going to go back to Paul. But we're, what we're getting is we're following some characters and it's not completely chronological. Because what's happened here is there's a scattering, and as the church is being scattered, they are preaching the word wherever they go, and stories are happening. And so then we're, kind of, we're getting some of, those, some of those stories here. And it reminds me of what we find in John chapter 3, verse 8, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And he says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Which very much describes Philip here. 
like the wind. You can't predict where it's going, where it's coming from, where it's going, but it's powerful. And so the work of the Holy Spirit, and I think you'll find this, the work of the Holy Spirit, I would say, is messy, but it's fruitful. It's unpredictable like the wind. And I love when you get to be part of something, when the Spirit of God leads you into something and you, you know you're part of a bigger picture, even if you don't know the whole picture, right? There's more going on. And so when you get to share your faith with someone else, what I want you to realize first from our passage is that there is a story in their life that goes before you ever met them and will continue on after. Like sometimes what happens is we treat trying to share our faith with someone like it has to be the beginning, middle, and end of their journey, <laughs> right? But the reality is God has already been at work and will continue to be at work in their lives, maybe in ways they don't even realize. I check this out for me personally. When I was like five, six, seven years old, we lived in this farmhouse with 50 acres of land. That sounds idyllic. The farmhouse was like condemned just after that. The, the, um, the situation was such that as a five, six, seven-year-old, the home situation was so bad that I had free reign. And so one of the things I would often do is I would go back on this property to this particular tree. I would climb up in the tree, and there was a place where I would sit, okay? And so back at home, stuff was really rough, really bad. But up in this tree, I would find peace, okay? And like, what was interesting to me is later on when I became a Christian, and when I experienced the work of the Holy Spirit, there was a part of me that went, hold on, this feels familiar. Now that, which is complicated theologically, right? Like, this feels familiar. What's going on here? And I remember thinking, like, what, what's going on here? And I realized, I think God was caring for me as a five-year-old up in that tree. Right? You see, people, God is at work in loads of places, in loads of ways, and people often have a story that goes before we ever met them. And, and sometimes they don't even realize it. Right? And so first of all, realize that when you, when you get a chance to share your faith with someone, that there's a backstory. And with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch here, we find that um, Philip begins with that, the very passage of Scripture he's reading and told him the good news about Jesus. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't rubbish. He doesn't go, everything you've experienced in the past is, is nothing, <laughs> you know. What I'm going to share with you is the beginning, middle, and end of the whole story of your relationship with God. Instead, this builds on the fact that this Ethiopian has been seeking God. He's traveled 200 miles to worship in Jerusalem. He's even purchased a copy of Isaiah. At the time, a scroll like that would be handwritten and would be expensive, okay? He doesn't just own it. He's taking time to read it. This person is seeking God as best they can. And Philip can go can start with the, that very passage of Scripture, can start with where he's at and tell him the good news about Jesus. There's a backstory. There's a story before you ever get there. There's also more that will happen after you leave that you have no part in. Typically, when someone comes to Christ, you know, we want it to be nice and tidy, have it all organized. Like, 
you know, put the, make them part of a discipleship program. You know what I mean? Like, um, and what we find here is a very weird verse. Verse 39. Don't know if you caught this. Verse 39. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Right? This is either, there's two very different ways to read this verse. This is either Philip like, boom, poof, was gone. Okay? <laughs> right? Or it's like Philip comes out of the water having baptized the Ethiopian eunuch and is like, Spirit of God wants me elsewhere. Bye. <laughs> like, either way, it's weird. Okay? Um, what we, and, and, and you kind of go, he's just going to leave this guy. The guy doesn't, he doesn't have the New Testament like we do. You know, he's got a scroll of Isaiah and he's traveling, traveling to Ethiopia where there are no other Christians. Bye. <laughs> And it's interesting that what we find, looking back in history, the Coptic church in Ethiopia say that they owe their roots to the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? Um, supposedly, what we read, like historically, is supposedly the queen of Ethiopia became a Christian. Now that might, that might not be true. We don't completely know. There's a story that God is writing that is bigger than any one of us that's bigger than Philip, that's bigger than the Ethiopian eunuch. See, I think it goes like this. Sometimes what happens is we think that when we, need, when we want to share Christ with someone, like quite often what, the way I picture it is it's almost like there's a wall between them and God. And we think that what we need to do is knock the whole wall down when your job might just be to take a brick out of the wall. Okay? And to be honest, for a lot of us, we, we're scared because we think we have to knock the whole wall down. We, I'm not good enough for that. When actually it might be your job just to take a brick out of the wall. And fantastic. You might be there when the whole wall comes down. Right? Fantastic. And I hope you are. But also, your job might just be take a brick out of the wall. And I say that because actually... If I say you need to knock the whole wall down, a lot of us are going to go, I can't do that. But if I say, can you, take the brick, can you take a brick out of the wall for someone? Help them to take another step toward knowing God. I hope that we can all go, I think I could do that. Right? Okay, so that's the first thing I want you to see is that everyone has a, has a backstory and God continues to work in their lives after you're gone. Second thing I want you to see in this passage is that the Spirit of God might have you crossing boundaries that you wouldn't normally cross, right? Like, Philip is crossing boundaries all over the place. And so, you know, check this out. In verse 27, we're spelled out some details that you shouldn't miss, okay? Now, by the way, this is very much part of what Jesus said when he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here in Acts 8, we're hearing, first half of the chapter, we're hearing about Philip in Samaria, right? And in this second half of the chapter here with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it's a kind of a start toward the ends of the earth. Like, obviously, you know, it's not the ends of the earth yet, but you get the idea. Now, in verse 27, we get these details. Look at these boundaries that are being crossed. Verse 27, so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian, I'm going to come back to that, an Ethiopian eunuch, I'm going to come back to that as well, an important official in, the, in charge of all the treasury of the Candake. 
So catch some bits there. First of all, he's an Ethiopian. He's a Gentile. Like, we're still in Acts chapter 8. Right? At this point, the church is purely Jewish. They don't yet get what it's going to mean to take the gospel to the ends of the world. They're going to work this, like in, in Acts 9, Saul's going to become Paul, and he's going to eventually be called to that. Acts 10 and 11, they're going to work out the details. They still don't get it. Philip, we're still here in Acts chapter 8. Again, not chronological. Maybe it's running in parallel with some of all of that. But regardless, Philip already knows the right thing to do. To baptize an Ethiopian eunuch, in a way, was breaking with his Jewish faith. And yet he knew it was right from what he had learned from, as a Christian. So first, notice that he was Ethiopian. Notice as well next that this Ethiopian is a eunuch. Uh, the Greek for eunuch can sometimes be translated as important official. I think it's right here to translate it as eunuch because then there's the words important official right after it. It would be pretty odd if you see what I mean. Okay. Um, so this, it's right to translate it as eunuch. The, um, sometimes in the ancient world, eunuchs were preferred for important positions, like positions where there was power, because in the ancient world, this is the best explanation I've come across, in the ancient world, power was passed through family lines. And so if you had your bits cut off, you couldn't have any kids, okay? <laughs> right? Like, um, like the... Uh, you know, so sometimes people would do that for professional advancement, right? And you think you have to sacrifice a lot for your job. <laughs> um. Now, the, the practice of being, uh, of being a eunuch for professional reasons was barred in Israel. So, and, and I want you to catch this. So in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, we read, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting, may enter the assembly of the Lord. And you can see why they would make this law. Making this law would stop people from doing this. Right? It's, so you can see why they would make it, but it seems unfortunate for someone for whom it's already been done. Because essentially what happens then in the nation of Israel is this, one, this person, this Ethiopian eunuch, a person who's a eunuch becomes an outcast. We see crossing, crossing of boundaries, Ethiopian, a eunuch. And yet, if you were to read a few chapters later in Isaiah, you have a beautiful passage that almost seems to be, it's a, a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God and seems to be strongly connected to what we read here. Check this out. Just a few chapters later in what the, in what the Ethiopian eunuch is reading, it says this. Chapter 56, verse 3 of Isaiah. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Um, here's a tension that still exists today that I find uncomfortable here. The tension is between the people of God excluding someone that God loves. 
Do, do, do you see that? People of God excluding someone that God loves. And so Philip reaching out to this eunuch is an example of the kingdom of God breaking in. And then finally we see that this was an important official. He's in charge of the treasury of the Kandake. He's wealthy. He could afford to travel 200 miles by chariot. He could afford to buy a scroll of Isaiah. I'm glad that the church of Christ includes good little Jewish boys like Philip and Ethiopian eunuchs, aren't you? <laughs> can, I speak, can I speak about right here for a second? A lot of you will know my background, some of the rough stuff before I became a Christian. I'm glad that a church like Holy Trinity in Leafy Coombe Down can have a vicar with that background. Because it, there's something about what we believe as Christians, that God can take a person no matter where they are, that God can change them by the power of his spirit, right? And by the power of his work. See, most of the time, what I see is I see that in the Christian church. Sometimes not so much. Right? Can I, can I share with you a personal example? Um, when I was, when I felt like God wanted me to go to Regent College to do my master's degree, I've told this story before, but I just want to share a little bit of it that you might not have heard. Okay? Um, so, at that time, I, it was a 30-hour drive from home. I only had money to get there, not to get home again. So it was very much a faith journey, being able to go, God, I'm going to trust you. You're going to provide for me. Lots more detail on that I won't share right now. But point being is I drive all the way to Vancouver, Canada, in a car that I've, where I've pulled out the seats and put some foam down just in case it's my home for the long term, okay? And... That Saturday night when I arrived, as you can imagine, actually I'm feeling a little bit nervous, right? I'm running out of money. I'm in Vancouver where, um, downtown Vancouver, I can't figure out where I can park my car. And especially if you've ever been moved on in the night by the police, it's not very nice. So, um, but the, um, I can't figure out where I'm supposed to park my car because everything's zoned or you're paying serious money and I don't have that. And so, but I find this church and they've got a Saturday evening service. And I think, you know what? I could really use that right now. And I go in and I join them for their Saturday evening service. And it's fantastic. And I'm worshiping my, with all of my heart. After the service is over, and this is the bit I want to share with you. After the service, we're having trouble here. Okay. Um, after the service is over, the, uh, after the service is over, I, I share with someone my, a little bit of my situation, and they say, oh, well, you should talk to the pastor's wife, right? And the, the pastor's wife comes to me, and I share with her, and I share, you know, and I'm a 30-hour drive away from home, and she's, yes, right? And I'm trusting God he's going to provide, yes, right? Over and over again, with everything I share, she's going, yes, you're one of us, right? And then I say, and I don't know where to sleep tonight, where to park my car, can I park, you have a massive car park, can I park it on the edge of your car park, at the far edge of your car park? Would that be okay? And immediately her face dropped. And it, her nonverbal became really awkward, right? And I start trying to explain myself more, trying to connect with her. And all the more she's kind of going, 
you're not one of us. Right? And very awkwardly, eventually, they agreed that I could park on the edge of their car park, but only so long as I left before anybody arrived for church. Right? And for me, it was this horrible jarring between what I believe as a Christian, and I thought fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, they would go, of course you can park on the edge of our car park. <laughs> right? And there's a tension there. There's a tension between the love that we're meant to show as Christians and sometimes, and that's what we're meant to re resemble and sometimes we don't. And by the way, if you've been hurt by Christians that didn't love you as you should, please know that we're trying. <laughs> Final thing I want you to see with Philip is that I want you to see that being led by the Spirit is not for the half-hearted. And I want to challenge you to be led by the Spirit like he was. You see, I want you to see here Philip's obedience because it's fantastic. Our passage starts with an angel appearing to Philip. Now, we don't know what that appearance was like. Um, he's told in verse 26, go south to the road, the desert road. Commentators try to map this out. The conclusion is here that, that what he's told, that there probably wouldn't have been many people, and it wouldn't have been a nice place to go, the desert road, okay? So he's being challenged to do this. And it says at the beginning of verse 27, so he started out. In Greek, there's a sense of urgency. He left right away. And then we get to verse 29, and it says, the Spirit talked to, spoke to Philip and said, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, think about this for a second. The, the chariot's likely moving, okay? Going near the chariot might cause some alarm or at least be odd on a road where there aren't many people. And in verse 30, we're told that Philip ran up to the chariot. <laughs> like, he's being obedient. Can I challenge you for a moment about half-hearted obedience? If Philip had said, if the angel said, go to the, to the road, the desert road, and Philip said, the desert road, really? Or hold on, I have got a, I've got a couple of emails I need to send, okay? This whole story wouldn't have happened. If the Spirit of God had said to Philip, go near to a chariot. By the way, how near do you have to get to hear someone reading to themselves inside of a chariot, okay? Like, right? Go, go near to the chariot, and he went... I think this is near-ish. This story wouldn't have happened. And we're challenged to be a people that are led by the Spirit. To say to God, God, whatever you want, whenever you want it, it's yours. To say, God, I'll, re I'll do what you want me to do. Let me pull this together in, in closing. People need the good news of Jesus. We need to refresh ourselves with the good news of Jesus, and we need to share that with others. Everyone you meet has a story that, where God's already at work before they, you ever meet them. Like, can you take a brick out of the wall, or if you're lucky, be there to knock the wall down, right? There are boundaries 
regarding the people we should share God's, there, there, let's just say there are no boundaries. We feel like there are boundaries. There are no boundaries with the people that we should share God's love with. The church is full of good little Jewish boys like Philip and Ethiopian eunuchs. Love it. Both of which are changing the world. And don't fall to half-hearted obedience. When an angel speaks or the Holy Spirit whispers to you, jump into action. Don't miss out on what God might want to do in you and through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the celebration and the beauty of what we see in this passage. And Father, I pray that this story wouldn't just be for a Bible story to be put on a shelf, but it would raise our hope and expectation of what you might want to do through us for the stories that are yet to be told because of how you want to use us. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.